Now the serpent was more crafty than other beast, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the, in the garden. But God said, You shall not, shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me to be, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let me try and sum up just what I said in that first session. Um, I, I said to, to know who we are, um, our identity, we must understand what we are. Uh, we must understand how, uh, how we came into this world. Um, and foundational to that is the idea that we're created. That was the big, uh, the big word in the first session. Um, and uh, we weren't created neutral. We were created to have God at the center, for him to be the most significant thing, the thing around which everything else spins. And the Bible calls that worship to have God at the center, his, him to be the weightiest thing in our lives, to have the position um, of glory. Um, so all of us, like I said, we're hardwired for worship to have God at the center. Now, here's what we come to in this session. Uh, we, um, we, we were made to have God at the center, but because of sin, because of the fall, like we're going to see, um, he's been removed from that place. And the, 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 the time where this happens, the, the Bible calls the fall, um, hence the word fallen. Um, and, uh, and, and God gets removed from the center, but, but we don't stop worshiping like we looked at this morning. Uh, we, we don't stop, we don't um, just kind of suddenly become people who, who don't seek to have something in the position of glory. Uh, the fall sin just distorts our worship. And in this session, I'm going to argue that you won't understand who you are until you understand that you are fallen. Now, this, this message is not a popular one, um, but I think it's, it's it, I don't think, it is, the Bible says, it is foundational to understanding who we are, to getting our place in this world. Um, I'm going to get back to Genesis 3 that uh, Toby read for us earlier. Um, but I'm going to take you to a, just a different part of the Bible first, to Romans chapter 1. Um, you, can, you can turn to it if, uh, if you like, if you've got a Bible with you. Um, Romans chapter 1. Um, and I'm actually going to read, I'm going to start by reading um, just from verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses, but uh, just bear with me. And uh, there's a lot in these verses, but I will, um, I'll explain them in a few moments. Romans 1.18, this is what it says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what's been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, like I said, there's, there's a lot in those verses. Um, I, I think this is one of the key sets of verses in, in the whole of the Bible. <clears throat> it says, this is, this is what those verses say. It says that God, God is our creator and our worship is to be directed to him alone. It's I mean, so, so obvious from those verses, but... Because of the fall, because we're now sinners, what we do is worship created things instead of the creator. We no longer have God at the center. In other words, we replace God with lesser things. Other things get the glory. And the word that the Bible uses for that is idolatry. And there is one way to read the Bible right from the beginning to end as the battle between true worship and false worship. 
between worship of the true God and idolatry. That's one way that you can read the Bible. It's, it's, it's kind of present the whole way through. <clears throat> Here's how it works. Because we were made to worship God, this is what we looked at last session. We, God gave us this role. We're to worship him in his name. We're to rule over and steward the whole of creation. That was Genesis 1, 26 and 28. That was our job. Adam and Eve, they were gloriously satisfied. They knew the joy of God. They, they knew his, his pleasure over them. They knew who they were in the world. But in these verses... Do you know what Paul says was the first sin back in the garden? Do you know what he says made everything begin to unravel? It was idolatry. Did you hear what what Paul says in verse 25? He says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Do you hear that? There's an exchange that takes place. Instead of worshipping God, we begin to worship his creation. Instead of God being in that position, other things get into the position where only he was meant to be. We begin to develop our sense of worth from those things, a sense of who we are from those things. Idolatry is an exchange. We exchange our object of worship. Okay? Now, we we, we stop worshipping God and instead we worship other things, the things that he made, creation and not the creator. So you might start start taking something, you you might, sorry, take something that God makes and and you you start investing it with something it was never meant to have, a significance it was never meant to have. That could be a person, that could be a thing, that could be an idea, it could be all kinds of different things. But you take a good thing and you make it into an ultimate thing. Okay, does that make sense? You take something which God made and he made good, but you try and place it in the center of your life. You try and have it as the position of glory, the place where only God belongs, and it begins to get distorted. It gets distorted, and you get distorted as well, because you start to build yourself around those things. You begin looking for meaning, to make sense of it all, to whatever it is you place in the center. Okay, you, are you with me? People with me on that? Okay, good. <clears throat> Let me go deeper, back to that, that passage back in Genesis. Because Genesis 3 is where it all goes wrong. Um, and, and I'm going to look at the fall, and I want to show you how, especially how the fall affects our identity, our sense of who we are, and our sense of our place in the world. And, and you see all of the, uh, all of kind of, I suppose, the, um, <clears throat> the seeds of it there back in Genesis 3. So it works out um, across the rest of the Bible and then through the rest of history. But you see all the seeds there in Genesis 3. And, and the word I want to use to, uh, to, to kind of describe what happens in the fall is alienation, okay? Alienation, sin, as it enters the world here, it detaches us. It, 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 it kind of separates us, it divides us, it alienates us. And you see four things in Genesis 3 where this alienation comes. You see alienation from God, you see alienation from yourself, you see alienation from each other, and you see alienation from the world around. And I'm, just wanna, I'm going to step through each one of these things with you. Uh, first of all, alienation from God. Um, do, do you notice this in Genesis 3? Um, as soon as they sin, they're cut off from God. Um, verse, verse 8 of chapter 3 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's an interesting verse for, for loads of reasons, not least of which the extraordinary fact that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. He would come and he would have fellowship and intimacy with them. Um, but this is what I want, to, I want you to see. As he comes this time, 
as he comes after this exchange, as Paul talks, has, has happened, and after sin has come in, what do you see? They, they, they hear the voice of God, the voice that would have filled them with joy previously, and they hide. They run. They flee from the They don't go to the voice. They flee from the voice. <clears throat> this would have been the highlight of the day, the thing that brought them deepest joy, but now they fear. And the first fruit of sin, the first fruit of the fall, is that we are alienated from God. We, we're kind of, we're removed from God. And in every single one of us, that produces a deep sense of brokenness. A deep sense of something being undone, something not right. You see, if you were created to, if this was the foundational thing that you were made to know, that you were to live in light of knowing your creator, the moment that's, the moment that's broken, then, then in every single one of us, it has to put this sense that something isn't right. And you see how quickly it just descends from God being the one whom, whom they loved, whom they worshipped, who was at the center. Look at what Adam does by the end of the chapter in verse 12. He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You see, you see he, he, not only does he blame Eve, he actually blames God. He says, well, God, you put her in the garden. I was just here, and she was there. You, you put her here. It's not my fault, God. It's your fault. So, so you go from this place where there is this, this amazing picture of God walking with Adam and Eve. There's this joy. Sin enters, and all of a sudden they flee from him. There, there is a brokenness they feel. They blame others instead. You see, all of us have this sense of, of drifting, detached from our creator, this sense that something isn't right. We mask it in all kinds of different ways, but it, it's central to who we are. And when we lose that relationship with our creator, when, we, when sin enters in, there's, there's a sense that things aren't as they are. We're alienated from God. Here's the second thing. We're alienated from ourselves. Now, this is going to sound strange to some of you. Uh, let, me, let me try and explain what I mean. Look in uh, verse 7. It says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Now I guess most of you are fairly familiar, um, certainly those of you who have spent any time in churches to these verses. And you're probably quite familiar as well that, that you know, they, they suddenly realize they're naked. But I guess you've never ever thought of the significance of that. Or at least you might have laughed at it and giggled when you were in Sunday school and then you kind of moved on to something else. And these verses are, are, I think, quite significant in terms of how we understand who we are. See, there's a contrast because Genesis chapter 2 verse 27, it says that um, it, says, it makes a point of saying the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Now, this, this is more than just about sex. Okay, this is more than just about that sense of, of, of even male-female relationships are broken somehow and the shame that then follows. This, this shame that's talked about is brought on by sin. What is shame? How, why do they go from feeling unashamed to all of a sudden realizing that they're naked and then they feel shame? What is that? Shame... I think as you, as, you, as you get the bigger picture of what the Bible teaches about this, shame is the sense of unease with who you are, that something is not right and needs to be covered over. Let me, uh, let me explain it this way. Um, if, have, you ever, have you ever been playing sport, because um, it normally happens in sport, have you ever seen someone uh, dislocate a, um, a part of the body? Someone just nearly vomited in the back row. Um, so uh, clearly that person has. Have you ever seen someone dislocate like a... Sh- we had, we had this guy, I can't remember his name, I was trying to think of it earlier, and he had, he had a shoulder that just like fell out all the time. It just would kind of fall out. 
And, uh, and it was really funny for everybody else. It wasn't at all for him. But if you ever see, if you ever see a joint dislocated, uh, if we have anyone like that, it would be a really great object lesson if you could stand up and just pop it out of, out of joint for us. But it's the weirdest thing in the world. Have you ever seen a dislocated arm or a finger? It just it, it does its own thing. I don't know, it didn't quite do that. But it does, you know, it does its own thing. It just hangs there limply. It's still kind of connected to everything else, but it doesn't function like it should. The dislocation is a, it's the freakiest thing you can possibly watch. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens in the fall. Your soul is dislocated. Something happens to who you are, to, to, to what God made you to be, that means you're not completely changed, you're not radically transformed, but something deep, something profound happens. We're no longer at ease with who we are because we've lost our relationship with God. We know that there is something right. Something is dislocated within each of us. You lose your sense of who you are. And, and when you lose that sense, when you lose that identity that you were made to know in the face of God, it brings fear, it brings anxiety, it brings a sense of needing to do something to cover up, to show that we're okay, to show, show that we're not, we're not actually, we can cover ourselves up with different things. We can't be that bad. What, why, do, why, do, why do all of us feel that sense in some way? Why does everyone who enters the world? It's because of sin. See, why are the fig leaves? Yeah, why are the fig leaves? You know, it just wasn't to save blushes. It was a sense of covering up. The nakedness had to be covered. That sense of shame, they couldn't live with it. They couldn't bear that sense. And so they run and they flee and then they seek to cover it over. You see, the fact is all of us seek to hide behind something. All of us are still seeking to do the same thing as Adam and Eve did in the garden. We're still trying to use things to cover up because, you know, honestly, we're terrified about what people would really think if they saw who we were. Yeah, we, we just are. We, we, we know that if people really knew what we were like, it's, a, the, it's unbearable. The sense that somebody would know me like that. Somebody would really see the reality. And so what we do, we cover it. Our fig leaves are slightly more advanced. Relationships, achievements, possessions, image, all the kinds of things. We still try and cover that sense that everything isn't right. But look, our souls are dislocated. We're, we're, we're not right. We're a, there's a sense in which we're even alienated from ourselves, from who God made us to be. Here's the third thing. You then get alienated from others too. See, if, if the, leaves, the, the leaves are just this sense that, you know, if you can't trust God, you need to cover yourself. See, if you can't trust God, if, if, that, if that relationship is lost, then how in the world can you trust anyone else? See, the horizontal, your relationship with God breaks and it starts breaking on a, on a, on a no, vertical. <laughs> I told you I was tired. That vertical with God, yeah, it breaks and all of a sudden the horizontal, there we go, didn't listen in science, the horizontal, this one along here, okay, with other people around, that begins to fracture. It begins to shatter as well. And, and it means no longer do Adam and Eve rejoice in each other like they did. Straight away from the beginning you have, you have Adam saying to Eve, well, it was her. She, it was, of course it was her fault. See, there's a breakdown in the relationship. You know, Adam and Eve were there to serve one another, to rejoice in one another, uh, uh, in, rejoice in one another as they both rejoiced in who they were in God. And yet, as soon as sin enters, you get them, instead of serving one another, loving one another, they're using one another. That's what Adam's doing. He's trying to use Eve to, to kind of get himself off the hook. He, he, instead, instead of serving and loving her, he just uses her. Have you, I mean, have you, 
how many of you have had that experience of being used by somebody? Of just being, being kind of uh, an accessory to something? Somebody using you in a way that they just, they just treated you in a, in a way that was dreadful to make them feel better, to achieve, to kind of pursue them further up the line? It's a terrible feeling. It's a devastating feeling. And yet this is exactly the alienation that sin brings in the world. <clears throat> God comes, God comes and, and he, says to, he says to both of them, he comes to Adam and in grace he seeks, to, he seeks to get Adam to repent. And yet you see the brokenness has already gone so deep, brokenness with God, that he, that he then just shows his brokenness with Eve by seeking to blame her. Now look, why is this important? Why is this important in terms of relationship, in terms of identity? It's because so many of us seek to find who we are in relationships with other people. So many of us seek to feel okay about ourselves because we have the approval of others around us. But because there's been a fracture, it means those relationships, even the best ones, are always going to be fractured in, some, in various different ways. They can never take the place of that relationship we lost with God. So you see this alienation, it's with God, it's then with a sense of we're not right with ourselves, we're not right with other people around us. And then you see alienation with the world. Look at what verse 17 says. Sister Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. (laughs) Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. The ground becomes cursed. What God says is that there's alienation from the world that we were put in. That's, that's what these verses mean. We were put here to care for creation. But God says because of sin, because sin has now entered, there's, there's not going to be harmony. Instead of feeling that it's right to be in this world, there's going to be painful toil in this world. Poverty, death, disease, all of those things, they, they come from sin. Everything gets shattered. It all begins to unravel like we were looking in this first one. And look, you know what this means? This means that work becomes a problem too. Work becomes more than what it ever was meant to be. See, let me explain it this way. Work, was, work isn't a curse, all right? Uh, it's important to tell you that, um, some of you more than others. Work is not now a curse, all right? But work does become cursed. There's a difference, okay? God made us to work. We're to be working in the new heavens and the new earth in glorious ways. But now, work is distorted by the fall. And this means what so many people do is they seek to get a sense of who they are from what they do. Okay? A sense of the way, the things that they do, the achievements they can make, the work that they're... Let, let, me, let me give you an example. People using what they do to prove who they are. Right now, um, I guess some of you will be seeking to get good grades to get into good universities, all of that kind of thing. Some of you are there. Um, now, what you know, probably your parents would love me to say is work hard, you know, get your grades. Um, you know, look, that's, that's fine. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Good grades to get into a good university. But for some of you, and I'm going to, we'll unpack this in the last one. For some of you, if you fail, if you don't get the grades, it will be as if your world is finished. It will be as if everything has come crashing down around you. Why? Because, because your work has become the reason that you live. Because your work, what you do has become the very thing that begins to drive you. The fall distorts how we see all of these things. Sin distorts our sense of who we are in relation to God, in relation to ourselves, in relation to others, and in relation to the world that we live in. Um, I one of the, there's many great things about living in Yorkshire. 
Um, one of them is the Eureka Science Park. Who's been to the Eureka Science Park? It's brilliant. Um, it's just off the M62. Uh, it's very convenient to get to. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I took I took well, our two boys. Um, I've got to say three now, but he wasn't there, so it was, still was two then. Um, and uh, we went to Eureka, and they have this brilliant um, this brilliant section where they it's it's like it's the old Carnival Hall of Mirrors, yeah. The the funny mirrors you stand in front. Of, oh, you know, look how fat you are. Oh, look how thin you are. Look how big your head is. All of that kind of stuff. And and we did that, and that, the boys just thought it was absolutely hilarious. But but see, the thing is, what sin does. For every one of us, sin distorts our view of the world. It's no longer do we look clearly as if it was just a straight mirror. It's like, it's like looking at the world through a carnival mirrors. It distorts our sense of who God is. It distorts our sense of who we are. It distorts our sense of who others are. And it distorts our sense of the world in which we live. Sin makes us look through carnival mirrors. Here's what we've done. We've replaced God. And the moment Adam and Eve did that in the garden, you've seen what happened. You've seen the fracturing, you've seen the unraveling that begun to happen. When, when you set your life orbiting around something other than God, then everything begins to unravel. <clears throat> and it makes us, like I say, it makes us feel like there's something that's not right. Here's, here's where I'm going to just bring this one to a close now by addressing that question. You know that question in the first one? It was, if, if I don't have a relationship, if I'm not orbiting around God, but things feel fine, does it really matter? Let me, give, let me give you two ways in which this really matters. When we base ourselves who we are around something other than God, it's a problem, first of all, in relation to God. It's a problem in relation to God. <clears throat> Did you hear the words in Romans 1.18? It says the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind. It says that God is angry. And what those verses go on to describe, the reason that God is angry is because, remember that word, we've exchanged him as the position, from being in the position of glory. We've taken lesser things and we've replaced God. We've taken the things that God made and worshipped them instead of worshipping him as the one who made them. See how crazy that is? And do you see how it brings anger to God? Because there's two ways. There's a little verse in Jeremiah chapter 2. And God is talking about how the people have failed to worship him. And God says, um, I'm going I'm I'm to read out so I get it exactly right. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 2, um, God says this in verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me. Um, no, that's chapter 1. Read from verse, uh, chapter 2, 13. My people have committed two sins. Listen. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own systems, broken systems that cannot hold water. See, God says there's two ways. He says, the first way my people have wronged me is that they've replaced me. They've replaced me. They, they worship other things instead of worshipping me. They, they, they've, they've taken me and they worship other things. But not only that, God says you've gone to other things and you seek to find satisfaction from those and not from me. It's, it's a double sin. You see, when you choose something else in the center, when something else replaces God, the first thing that we do is we, we reject God's greatness and goodness. We, we reject that. Even if you never say it like that, even if you've never said, God, you're not good enough, your greatness isn't good enough, your goodness is not good enough, that, that's what you've done. But here's the second problem. As if that wasn't bad enough, to turn around to God, to reject his goodness and his greatness. At the same time, as we choose something else, as we base our lives around other things, we say, and I think this is better than you. 
And I think this will be the thing that really brings me satisfaction. God, you aren't good enough. God, my soul is not satisfied in you enough. You could never please me. I'm going to build on this and this will. This will be the thing that gives me a sense of who I am. This will be the thing that makes sense of my world. This is what I really need to be satisfied. Do you see how it's a double sin? Do you see how God is wronged in that? And the Bible says God is angry at that. God is angry at that. We've fallen in love with the sunbeams instead of the sun. We've fallen in love with the gifts and not the giver. And the Bible says, God, is that's a problem. Our sin angers God. Here's the second thing. Our idolatry is, is a problem in relation to God. And look, it's a problem in relation to ourselves. Here's the last two things I'll say. In two ways. First of all, they will always let you down. They will always let you down. Created things... When, they, when, when you exchange God and when something else fills his place, they will always let you down. They will always end up hurting you because they failed you. Look, let me, I wanna, I'll give you an example of this. I'm going to try and make this as practical as I can. Um, when, when I was at university, my, especially my second year, um, I, was, I got really into um, the whole kind of fitness, the, the gym scene, which in Loughborough is, is, is a really big one. Um, now, look, I, st- I still go to the gym today, I still run, I still enjoy it. But in the second year at uni, it, it reached a point where it was dominating my life, okay? My, I'll tell you how my day revolved. Meals at the right times. Grams of protein, counted grams of protein, okay? Um, uh, how much I'd be bench pressing at the end of the week. How, how much time I'd taken off my, you know, 2K on a rower. And I, began, and I began to, you know, to, to really spin around those things. Now, look, at the same time, listen, I was Mr. Christian Union, all right? I was Mr. I was on exec, I was doing that, I was teaching Bible, doing all of those things. And yet, really, had you asked me, my passion, what defined me, my identity was being found not in, not in who I was in Jesus. It was being found in health and physical achievement. I'm just, I'm just being as honest as I can with you. That had become my center of gravity. Now, let, let me tell you the most remarkable thing that happened that summer. Um, I can't explain all of this, but I'm just telling you in the way it is. One morning in that summer, I woke up with a foot the size of a balloon. Shoot, I mean, shoot, like the biggest swallow. I looked down and thought, what is that on the end of my leg? And then realized it was my foot. I went, to, I went to A&E. They refused to believe I hadn't been out drinking the night before, and like all young people do, and had just fallen over and wasn't telling them. Um, but I'd just woken up and it was like that. I went on to see specialists and all of those kind of things. Here it was. It was the onset of an arthritic condition called ankylosing spondylitis. It's a condition I still have. I spent two weeks of that summer barely able to move, and I spent the rest of the summer sorting out medication that was, gonna, that was basically going to mean that I could live at a level for the rest of my life where I wasn't going to have you know, parts of my body swelling up like a balloon. All right. Now, let let me tell you what I believe God did in his gracious intervening that summer. I believe, my family has spoken to me, my close friends have spoken to me, I wouldn't listen to any of them. Do you know what God had done? He'd exposed the emptiness. He'd exposed the emptiness that lay at the center of my heart. That's, that's what he'd done. Here's what I believe God showed me. He said, it was as if he was saying, look, do you not see? If you're based on these things, if, this, if these are the things that drive you, Let me show you how they're never going to satisfy you. Let me show you how they will always let you down. 
Let me show you how only I can satisfy. And until I'm there, everything you look to will let you down. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be as dramatic for every one of you. I really don't mean that. But what I am saying is every single time we will get let down by the things that we replace God with. And when you've based who you are on those things, that's devastating. I mean, look, your boyfriend, girlfriend, in a relationship, maybe it's them you've invested so much in. Do you know what you're asking them? You're asking them to be in a position of glory that was meant for God. Do you think that's a basis for a healthy relationship? Because when they let you down, it's more than just someone you love letting you down. It's somebody you worship letting you down. It's somebody who you've lined your life up in every single way to please, to follow, to have. Do you see the problem? Whenever they break under the pressure, they cannot hold the pressure. Anything other than God will not hold the pressure. And look, here's the second thing. When, when something other than God is placed at the center, here's the cruel reality that some of you have never seen. It, they will enslave you. They will enslave you. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, anyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. What Paul has said in these verses in Romans 1 is that the core of sin is this idolatry. It's a replacement of God. Here's the irony. No one, no one seeks to build their life around something that will enslave them. We all think the things that we replace God with will somehow make us more free will somehow bring the desire, bring the satisfaction that we've always been looking for. Somehow will make us understand our place in the world. But here's what the Bible says, they never, ever will. They never, ever have. And you will end up more enslaved than you were at the beginning. You will end up more chained by them than you ever have been. See, whatever at the core, whatever whatever it is you've placed at the center, you'll, you'll sell yourself even into evil to retain it. You will do everything you can to preserve that thing. You know, sometimes physically. Maybe maybe you'll compromise your health so you can get down to a certain size. You'll do everything you can to reach that thing that you think, even if it's damaged, even if your body is being destroyed by it. Maybe you're in a relationship which actually, you know, is, is wrecking you emotionally, psychologically. It's a terrible relationship to be in. But you've said, this is the thing that gives me meaning. This is the, th- this is, this is the one where I know how I am. So, so you end up being destroyed. Everyone around you can, you can see. I guarantee there'll be some of you right now in relationships that your friends, your family, everyone can see is, is just shattering you. And yet you're the only one who can't. Do you see, we have to have these things and yet... They end up enslaving us. Um, I bet, how many of you have actually seen the film Breakfast at Tiffany's? This is where my tie, well, that's more than I thought, okay. Um, four of us. Uh, so uh, that's, that's good. I need to update my Target um, references. And uh, anyway, it's a great film. It's an Audrey Hepburn film. Um, lads, you're probably not going to like it. Jeff, you certainly won't. Um, there's, a, there's this bit. There's this bit in a, it centers around um, this character called Holly Golightly. And um, she is, she's kind of, I suppose she's the, she's the epitome of, of, of a free spirit. Okay, so she, she has no jobs to tie her down. She moves just from one relationship to the next. Um, and uh, she, in many people's eyes, I guess, she has the kind of life that they wish they could have. Um, but there's this bit in the end of it. She does what she, she goes where she pleases. She goes where she chooses. <clears throat> and there's one guy, a guy called uh, Paul Varjak, Fred, um, as she for some reason likes to call him. And uh, 
And the film never explains why, but just, she's just about, he's just about the only real friend she has. And at the end of the film, um, the, uh, the, this, this kind of climatic moment there in New York, there's a, there's a downpour, they're standing by a taxi. It's kind of in cinema history. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great moment. And as he looks at her, she's, she's kind of, she's, she's this broken woman because her dreams have kind of failed. He says this, Fred says this, he says, you call yourself a free spirit. You call yourself a wild thing but you're terrified someone's going to stick you in a cage. And then he says this, well, baby, you're already in that cage and you built it yourself. It's wherever you go because no matter where you run, you just end up running into yourself. I'd love how profound those words are. See what he says? He says, you think you're free, baby, but the truth is you're, you're in a cage of your own making. And you can run and you can go from one place to the next. But you will never, never escape yourself. And you've created your own cage. Jesus says to us, he comes and says, look, anything, any sin, anything you attach your heart to, other than God, it does not bring freedom. It brings slavery. It brings slavery. Do you know what? There are some of us in this room who just wish by sheer bitter experience we could, if we could just take the experiences that we've been through, the the, the heartbreak that we've been through, just to show you where some of the things that you're locked onto will lead you. I had a conversation, the the shortest comment just earlier, from a guy who's done exactly that. And if you could have just, if we could just make you feel it, but we can't. But what we can do is say, look, believe the words that Jesus believe what the Bible is teaching here. For some of you, it will take you making infinite numbers of cages. For some of you, you will become more, more enslaved than you could ever imagine before you will see the truth of this. But my prayer, my prayer for today is that some of you will be saved then. Some of you will be prevented from doing that. The mistakes that some of us who are older than you have already walked in. Because the reality is anything, anything other than God placed at the center... <laughs> It will enslave you and not free you. It's a bitter fruit to taste. To understand who you are, you need to understand you were created to worship. You were created to know that relationship with your creator. But you've fallen. Every single one of you. Every single one of us, we have sin. Every single one of us is ending up, instead of being free, we end up enslaved by the things that we look to replace God with. You're created, you're fallen. In the last session, it gets better because we're going to look at the fact that you can be rescued to know again the one whom you were made to know.